Well, welcome to week four of a series uh, we're calling The Wind. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We always read a passage of scripture uh, out of reverence for God's word. It'll be on the screen. I will read it aloud and you can follow along from the letter that the Apostle Peter wrote in the New Testament to you and to me. So with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. That's ignorance of God and all of his goodness. But just as he who called you is holy, read the rest of this with me, would you, out loud. So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for standing. Well, we're learning together about the Holy Spirit. We're learning who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does in us. Uh, Next week and the week after that, we're going to learn what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us. Um, My friend uh, Ken Jenkins, if you remember him from a a couple years ago, he's going to be here next Sunday. You do not want to miss that. He's fantastic, so make sure you don't miss that. But we're using as an access point to help us understand the nature of the Holy Spirit, this very simple prayer that we're calling the Holy Spirit prayer. We're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to invite you to to say it with me out loud uh, as we uh, enter into what we're talking about today. You ready? Here we go. Come, Holy Spirit, all the way down, all the way in, and all the way through. One more time, really loud. Ready? Come, Holy Spirit, all the way down, all the way in, and all the way through. So we're, we're, we're learning what we can expect when the Holy Spirit fills you. We learned that last week, that you can be filled with a different kind of spirit than is filling our country today, a spirit of fear and divisiveness. There can be a different spirit that fills you, and it can be the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit wants to fill your life. Uh, so we're also learning, though, okay, when that happens, what do we expect? Well, I'm going to give you a word. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then we're going to unpack what that word means, because this is the heart of what you can expect when the Holy Spirit fills your life. And this is the word. The word is holiness. Now, we're going to redefine this word, and when I say redefine, I don't mean give it a totally new definition. The word prefix re means again. We're going to define it again for a new generation, because some of you, when you hear that word, you have some odd reactions. You either don't know what that word is, or you've, you've maybe heard it in passing, and you kind of have the reaction that you have when you see liver on your plate. You're like, what? I'm going to eat? What is that? You're like, there's one of you in here that likes liver. You're weird. The rest of us hate it. Okay? So you look at that, and you go, what is that? Or, or you, you hear that word, and you had a nun that used to hit your knuckles with a ruler, and you think, holiness, I don't want anything to do with that. Or if you're like me, uh, you, you grew up with the understanding that holiness was things that you did not do. And so in the seventh grade, my mother wrote a note when we had the section in gym class on square dancing, and she wrote a note saying, Scott is not allowed to, be, to square dance in gym class. Please excuse him from gym class. So I had to go and tell my friend, why did you go to the square dancing thing? Uh, apparently it's evil. I don't know. Uh, and and I was, this, was, this was how I understood uh, and how I was kind of uh, expla- explained to me what holiness is. It's this, this weird, odd thing. I'm hoping by the end of today, though, that the response that you get from this word is, is awesome. I don't mean that in the sense of like, dude, but I mean, 
full of awe. There is some awe that comes out of you because if you understand what it is that God wants to put into your life through the power of his Holy Spirit and what can come out of your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, I think the response would be, would be proper the way that God, people have always responded to the presence of God, which is with a sense of awe and wonder. Now, you can expect holiness to be a part of your life, to be the, the thing that characterizes your life, because we're talking about, even the word, the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, seventh grade English, you learned this about the, the parts of grammar. You have nouns and you have adjectives. Adjectives are words that modify nouns. An adjective is a thing that describes what that thing is like. So what's the noun in this, in this phrase, right? The spirit is the noun. And what's the adjective? It's bolded in everything. Holy, right? Holy. So an adjective modifies a noun, and it changes the meaning of a word completely. I'll give you some examples. If you have a noun debt, well, you want to know, is that big debt or a little bit of debt? If you've got a marriage... Is it a fantastic marriage or a terrible marriage? If you're going to eat a hot dog, right? We think that's one thing that the hot modifies the noun dog because you would not eat a cold dog, right? You wouldn't want that. That would be disgusting. It, does, it, does someone have a heart? They have a, what kind of heart does a person have? Do they have a, a small, shriveled heart or do they have a great heart, right? The, the adjective modifies the noun. So, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, what we're meaning is that's the kind of spirit that God has, a Holy Spirit. Now, if you were to look that word up in the original languages, in the Hebrew and the Greek and the, the Old and New Testament, you would find out that the word means several things. It means divine. Uh, it means pure. It means consecrated. It means uh, dedicated. In other words, that means when you think about God's spirit, God's spirit is divine. It's different than you and me. God's spirit is pure. Pure means with no foreign element. And when you go, uh, maybe this morning or tomorrow morning, when you go to pour your cup of coffee and you pick up the sugar, maybe it's in the thing or in the packet, you don't want to see other little black granules come out of that packet. No, no, you want a pure experience of sugar. God's spirit is completely pure. There is no foreign element. God's spirit is consecrated, set apart. I mean, set apart for a unique purpose. God's spirit is dedicated, in other words, devoted to seeing uh, God's purposes come to pass in human history. So God's spirit is holy. So now, here, follow me on the logic, right? If God's holy spirit fills you, what does that mean that you will be like? Not a trick question, right? Let me help you. If an angry spirit fills you, that means that you are? Yeah, if a silly spirit fills you, that means you are silly. So if a Holy Spirit fills you, that means you are what? Holy, right? Think about this for your life for a second. That means that you are divine. You, you are now different. There's something unique about you. There's purity that characterizes your life. Your life is now consecrated. You're set apart for a unique purpose, and you're dedicated. Now, you have a purpose that gets you up in the mornings because you're devoted to God's purposes in the world. So this is Peter's logic. He says, listen, you need to understand that God's logic is this way, that I am holy, therefore you are to be holy, that there's, in other words, something in the nature of God that connects with the nature of human beings as he created us in his image. When those two things connect, makes us alive. We come alive when God's spirit comes into us. And that then this affects everything about me. 
It affects everything about you because Peter says you're to be, you and I are to be holy in all that you do. Now, what does the word all mean? Not a trick question. All, right? So that means nothing excluded. So you're to be holy when you're on vacation. You're to be holy when you're on the internet. You're to be holy when you spend your money and how you spend your money. You're to be holy with what you do with your body parts. You're to be holy in every possible way. You're to be holy when you're on the job. You're to be holy when you're at home. You're to be holy when you're mowing the lawn, right? It's everything, everything. We're to be holy in everything that we do. And so I want you to go on the journey and find out that when God's Spirit fills you, holiness is the thing that characterizes your life. Now, we've got a little bit of work to do. Because we have so many misunderstandings about what that word means and so many experiences that so many of us in this room have had around that whole idea of holiness that some of us are put off by it. And we don't want anything to do with it. So we've got to understand what holiness is and what, holy is, uh, what holiness isn't. And then we've got to figure out how can we become a person who is holy, filled by God's Holy Spirit. So let me give you three things that holiness is and holiness isn't. If you're taking notes, you can write these down, and these will be helpful things for you to refer to this week as you think and pray about your life. Here's the first thing. Holiness is about love, not rules. Holiness is about love, not rules. See, some of you, when you first heard that, the first thing you thought of were that holy people keep special religious rules. So you might think, okay, well, if you're holy, then that means that if you're a woman, you don't wear makeup, or you have long hair, or you don't wear uh, jeans, or you don't say curse words. In other words, you think there's this category of rules that they don't really make sense, but for some reason that no one really knows, you keep these rules, and somehow you're holy as a result. Now, some of you in this room are rule keepers. Raise your hand if you're a rule keeper. We're not going to call you out. That's actually a good thing. Raise your hand if you're a rule keeper. Some of you are like, I can't do it. Some of you are your rule keepers, right? If you saw someone raise your hand, give them your lunch money because it will be safe forever because they know the rule of not stealing. So you can give them their lunch money and you can trust these people. But now here's the problem when holiness is defined as rules, as external list of things that I'm supposed to either do or not do, uh, is, is when you focus on that, you end up eventually becoming a hypocrite because you can't keep all the rules. And your rules become contradictory. Now, if you grew up like I did, uh, you grew up around church in the, in the 70s and the 80s, and I think even before in the 60s, uh, the, the church, in all denominations, I think, especially conservative evangelical denominations, all went through what I would call a period of legalism where holiness was defined as the things that we do not do. We don't do blank, 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 and blank, and especially blank because it's really bad, right? And so what, what happened was we ended up with a bunch of rules that were contradictory, and we became hypocrites. So when I was growing up, you were not allowed, I was not allowed to go to the, it was called the movie house, right? A theater. It was somehow bad. So you couldn't go to the, pay a, a few dollars, walk in, get the big popcorn for $47, the big Coke for $43, and sit down in a movie and watch that movie on that screen. You couldn't do that because that was not holy. However, you could wait a few months until it came out on VHS tape. 
You could go to Blockbuster. You could get a Blockbuster card. You could walk all the way around. Some of you are like, Blockbuster, what's that? You're young. <laughs> Ask someone over 40. You could go walk, walk away through, pick your movie out on a Friday night, the same one that it was a sin to watch in the movie house. You could go in the confines of your own home, put it in your VCR. Some of you also are like, what is that? You put it in the VCR and watch the tape. You were kind enough to rewind it because you were holy, and you would take it back. That was okay, but you could not go to the movie theater. You were, you were forced to be, and I would, I would go, that doesn't make any sense. See, when you focus on external rules only, you eventually become a hypocrite. So if it's not rules, what is it? Well, it's love. John Wesley said it this way. He said, holiness is love so filling your heart that there is no room for sin. Let's back up a few, a few weeks. We talked about the man code. I don't know how you're doing, guys. On, if you've got that man code on your mirror and you're reading that every day about what a man, man is. And we used 1 Corinthians 13 in this whole love chapter. And, and th- this, this wonderful list about what love is. And love is patient. And love is kind. And love does not envy. And love does not boast. It's not rude. This whole list of things. Now listen, listen, listen carefully. If you're working to put these things actively into your life, Guess what's going to happen? It's the, it's the principle of displacement, you know? If I had a jar here and it was full of dirty water and I had a pitcher here with more water in it than it was in the dirty jar and I took the pitcher and I poured it into the dirty jar, that it would displace that dirty water and push it out so that the clean water would displace the dirty water. This is what John Wesley was saying. It's love. When you're putting love into your life, it displaces the other things in your life so that love more and more characterizes your life. That, that's... That's what can happen for you. Now, this, is, this can be kind of hard to get our, our heads around because it can seem like an abstract thing. Let me, let me tell it to you through the life of a person who was very influential to me. Church, I pastored. There was a, a, a gentleman. His name was Joe Strayhorn. We have a picture of Joe. And uh, every, every Monday morning and Thursday morning, Joe would come. He was 84, I think, years old when I was there as his pastor. And Joe uh, had a second-grade education. And he, for his entire work life, had been a pipe fitter, lived in the same house for about four decades, had lost his wife about 15 years before. His kids moved and lived in other places. And Joe would come in, and he had a bad hip and a bad knee, and um, he would come in, and he would walk all the way around the church building and all of the rooms, and he would collect all of the trash and then he would take it and put it in a bag, and he would park his car right by the door, and then he would take the trash out, put it in his trunk, drive it across the parking lot to the, 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 the uh, collection bin, and he would put it in there And as many trips as it t- take him. And then he would come in, and he would sit down in the office, and he would drink a cup of coffee, and we'd have a conversation. And, and Joe would invari- we'd invariably talk about something that was happening in the church or things we needed to do. And he would always say this. He would always say, now, 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 now. I'm not trying to tell you what to do or nothing. You just do whatever you think the Lord's told you to do. When he died a couple, uh, a couple months ago at 90-some-odd years old, um, some friends of ours who had known him their whole life wrote this about him. Uh, when I was a kid, he always volunteered to drive the church van to take us to all, camp, uh, all the camps and events. As teens, we were loud and silly, and not once did Joe ever raise his voice to us. He was one of the most patient men I've ever met. In middle school, my grandma passed away, and I missed the first day of camp, and so Joe dropped all the other kids off on Monday, and on Tuesday, he made another four-hour round trip to take me to camp so I wouldn't miss out. 
Another time on a youth trip, the other vehicle mistakenly drove off with our keys, leaving us stranded at a gas station, and Joe was waiting at the church for the other vehicle to arrive and drove the keys several hours round trip to us to save the day. And as an adult, he gave my kids candy or little trinkets he picked up, and he had a hug for me every Sunday. One day I stood up, and I, I said, hey, we're part of the Church of Nazarene. I said, hey, we've this, we've this, this budget line item that we're not going to be able to make, and it's part of our tribal commitment to the, the Church of the Nazarene. It funds missionaries and things like that. I said, we're, we just don't have the money. We're $13,000 short. So just pray. If you need to feel led to give, give. Do that. Remember, Joe was a uh, second-grade education pipe fitter. He comes in the next day for trash. says, hey, maybe we can have breakfast uh, tomorrow. Oh, sure, Joe, that'd be great. So I meet Joe at breakfast place the next day, and we sit down. First thing he does is he slides this piece of paper across the table, and he says, now, you look at that and make sure that I wrote all those words right, but I think that should cover the amount that we're short. Do you know how much the check was for? From a second-grade education pipe fitter? $13,000. Listen, I'm pretty sure Joe couldn't even spell the word holiness, but he was the definition of it. I can't tell you the number of times I'll pray, oh God, make me like Joe. Not about rules, love. What else? Love's, uh, love's about, uh, holiness is about offense, not defense. See, when I was growing up, we had this idea that, um, that we had to play defense from the world. We had to protect ourselves. We had to be the holy huddle, the frozen chosen, the pious pew sitters, the faithful few. It, it, we had the idea that the world was like this virus that we had to protect ourselves against. It was almost like what used to happen in elementary school when uh, a kid that we didn't like would sit down in a chair. We would go, ooh, you have cooties. And we would take our imaginary bottle of Lysol and go, right and the way the church acted was as though the world had cooties and we had to anytime the bad people came around stay away from the bad people kids though the idea was that we would be corrupted by the world right that was the idea so we were always playing defense now there was some measure that uh that there was some misreading of scripture where this idea came from it was in the prophet habakkuk the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament said this. He said, talking about God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. And so people would say, well, if God can't look on evil, then we should not be around evil. We shouldn't tolerate wrongdoing. We should wag our finger at people who are doing it wrong. Now, you, you know, right, that you can misread the Bible and ruin your life? You know that, right? Because the heart of that passage is not about that. It's about, God, there's so much wrong in the world. What, what are you going to do about it? Well, then you've got to fast forward in the Bible to Jesus to find out what God did about it. Because if you go to Mark chapter 1, this is what happened. Uh, a man with leprosy. Now, anytime you see that, what you need to understand is that was like the biblical version of cooties. <laughs> you stay away from those. Shh. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you were willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant, not at the man, at the situation, at the suffering of human beings. I wish God would make us all indignant at the suffering of people. And he reached out his hand, and what's the word? touched the man, right? Here's what Jesus was doing. He was playing offense, not defense. Your, your dirtiness is not going to infect me. My love and my goodness is going to infect you. <laughs> He's playing offense, not defense. Jesus even said it this way. He said, listen, 
uh, I will build my church, he told his disciples, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now listen, if you picture any movie you've ever seen about two armies lining up on a battlefield, have you ever seen one of those armies in front of them carrying a big giant gate? No, because what are gates? Gates are defensive, right? When you're attacking someone's gate, you've gone to the source of someone's power, and you're you're trying to destroy the source of someone's power. And Jesus is saying, that the church, the, the Christians, the people who follow Jesus, we're going to go to the source of hell's power, and we're going to attack it. And so we fight for justice, and we fight against racism, and we fight for the poor and for their rights, and we fight for people's marriages, and we fight against addiction, and we announce the love of God and the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and say that it's available to anybody, no matter who they are or where they come from. Anybody can have this. Anybody can have this. You could say amen right there. It would help you. It might help you just a little bit to say amen right there. See, holiness is winning. It's being on the offense, not on the defense. Third thing, it's about restoration and not addition. What what do you mean? Well, uh, if you think it's about addition, you think that holiness is one more thing you have to add to your life. And it feels like a crushing burden. Because you look, if if you're, this is what I did this week. I was thinking through this, and I'm thinking about holiness, and I'm... (laughs) Um, I'm, I kind of got mad at God this week because I did an inventory in my life and I went, okay, how am I doing as a husband? Well, sometimes I don't do great. How am I doing as a dad? Well, sometimes I screw that up. How am I doing as a leader? Well, sometimes I screw that up too. Well, how am I doing as a friend? Well, I don't, I, I'm busy and so I don't have a lot of time to nurture friendships. And, I, and so God, on top of all that that I feel like I suck at, I got to be holy too? I got to add that to my life? You got one more thing for me to add to my life that I really, and I'm mad, I was mad. And then I realized, and then, then it was like the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 you, you don't have it right. This is not something I'm trying to add to your life. I'm trying to restore something in your life. Do, do you know, if you know, if you go to Genesis chapter one, who's, who's the pattern that we're patterned after? Who's, whose image are we made in? Genesis chapter one, when God made mankind, he made us in his image, Right? And what's, God, what's God's spirit like? What's this? It's the Holy Spirit, right? So it's the true me. It's the true, holy is the true me. It's the me that God made me to be. Let me give you a different word that might help you. Holiness is wholeness. You finally have the pieces put back together. There's something in God's nature that connects with how he made you in the beginning, and he makes you whole. Holiness is not a burden that's being added to your life. It's healing that's brought into your life. Because see, when you go a little bit later in that passage in Genesis chapter 1, you find out that when God looks at you and me and all the creation that he's made, he says, it was very, very good. Some of you need to hear this so badly. Because this is what it means when he says it's very good. It was beautiful and expensive. Do you understand that God did not get you on the clearance rack at Ikea? That you are a beautiful and expensive thing. And yes, you're broken. Yes, I am broken. You just go through life, you get broken by life. But because you are so beautiful and so expensive, he picked up the pieces and he put you back together and he's restoring you into the person he's always meant for you to be. See, that's what holiness is. You gotta get that. You gotta get that. Now, you got a choice at this point. You can either stay on the porch or you can come into the house. John Wesley said it this way. He said, uh, many of us come up to the porch of religion, and we never go into the household of faith. And we mistake the porch of religion 
for the household of faith. Because here's the porch of religion, right? Take all those things that holiness is not. And this is how many people think about it. When they go, I don't want anything to do with that because it's a bunch of rules. It's playing defense and protecting myself from the big bad world. And it's just adding one more burden that I can't keep up with to my life. Who wants that? That's the porch of religion. And see, if you sit on the porch of religion, you're going to sit outside and and winter's going to come and you're going to go, oh, sure, it's cold out here. I guess God doesn't care about us being warm. And when it rains, you're going to go, oh, it sure is storming out here. I guess God doesn't want to protect us and keep us dry. And if someone came up and saw you, they'd be like, you're sitting on the porch, dummy. Go inside the house. It's the household of faith where you belong, where you're loved, where you learn to win, and where you're restored into the image of God the way he's always meant for you to be. See, this is where you got to choose, though. Do you want to stay on the porch or do you want to go in the house? How do I do that, Scott? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Let me give you uh, four things that you're going to need uh, to, to put into your life that's going to allow you to access the holiness that God has for you. Here's the first thing. It's you're going to have to develop habits that make me whole. Apostle Paul told Timothy, his protege, you've got to train yourself to be God. Not try really hard, train uh, you know what a habit is, right? Habits, uh, habits are repeated behavior that you've learned uh, that you really don't even think about because you've done it so much, and it gives you a certain outcome. Now, you can have bad habits, and you can get bad outcomes. Uh, you can have good habits and get good outcomes. You can develop the habit of every morning and every night brushing your teeth. You're supposed to do it morning and night. Some of you are like, what? Uh, <laughs> morning and night, right? You develop the habit of morning and night brushing your teeth. It results in the condition known as dental health. If you develop, by the same token, holy kinds of habits, then you develop the condition through the power of God's Spirit known as heart health, life health. It brings good things into your life. So let me just give you some of the habits that you can see in the life of Jesus. Okay, let's not add anything else on. Let's just see what Jesus did. And let's imitate that. Because if we're going to follow him, we're going to imitate what he did. I'll give, you, I'll give you three things that Jesus did. You, you watch his life. Jesus was so familiar with the scriptures, with the word of God, that he could quote it from memory. And he knew the context and knew when it was being misused. Did you know that when Jesus was tempted by the devil, the, the tool that the devil used against him and that he will use against you is the scriptures? And he twisted them. And Jesus was like, nah, uh, 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 that's not what that means. It means this instead. So if you want, if you want to bring everything God has in your life, one of the disciplines developed by Jesus, learn, the, and learn to read and know the scriptures so that you can quote them and that you can understand the context. Oh, that's what it means, not what I thought. Then Jesus had a, a habit of praying. He prayed uh, so regularly and with such um, with such passion and intensity and and gentleness and welcome that his disciples who were steeped in a religious culture where you prayed for everything looked at the prayer life of Jesus and went Jesus I know that we're taught all this other stuff about prayer but you teach us to pray and he had a a real and a meaningful life of prayer and and if you say well I don't know how to do that well we did a whole series in the summer on prayer you can go back and you can you can learn about prayer and what prayer is and what prayer isn't and here's here's the third thing Jesus had a regular, again, habit, habit of showing up every week to the corporate worship thing that happened, right? Now, did he need to know 
what was in the Bible? No. He already knew it. It was his. Did, did he, did he, was he missing something? No, no, no. It was just a habit. It was just a habit that put him in a place where he was always around God's people, and he was always around God's word, and, and, and I love that we have an online thing, and if you're online from Florida, awesome, uh, but if you're here in town, it's, it, it's like watching a movie that someone filmed on your phone versus actually going to the movie yourself, right? He, he just made the habit to be around God's people. It's the discipline of getting up and getting dressed and showing up and paying attention and saying, oh, what does God have to say to me today? What do I need to put into practice today? Listen, listen, listen. I'm going to lose some people right here, but I don't care. <laughs> Do you want your parents, do you want sports to raise your kids, or do you want God's people to influence and raise your kids? And nothing wrong with sports. Listen, did it, have coaches, appreciated what they did, but the people who influenced me were God's people, because I was around them. My parents just made sure I was around them. Listen, I'm not giving you a rule, okay? I'm just telling you a habit. My family... Uh, 52 weeks out of the year? Are we, all, are we in a worship service like this 52 weeks out of the year? No. The reason we might not be is if we're on vacation and we're traveling that day because we've got to get from point A to point B. That'd be the only reason. Otherwise, we show up somewhere and we worship with God's people because it's just a habit. And if you think your kids, if you, you show up like every six weeks and you think your kids are going to get it, they're not. Your grandkids are definitely not because you're not going to put the habit in them. See, it's not going to be a habit. You gotta, the habits make you whole. Here's, here's the second thing. You've got to obliterate my sin. You've got to obliterate it. Put to death, Paul says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your flesh. Put it to death. Sexual immorality, lust, evil desires, greed. A guy named Carlos Whitaker, he travels around, and uh, he's a pastor at a church, and he wrote a book about this story I'm going to tell you. But he said one time his father, who was a, a pastor, was doing a series of, of meetings, of, of special meetings at a church in another country. They're from Puerto Rico. And he was there, and he was doing a, a series of meetings, and this woman who had grown up in the church, who was an, uh, an older woman, came up at the end of the service and said, I need you to pray with me that God would get rid of the cobwebs in my life. And he said, oh, okay, let's pray. Oh, God, remove the cobwebs. Second night, same woman comes back up. I, I need you to pray with me that, that God would get rid of the cobwebs in my life. Oh, let's pray, let's pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third night, comes back up. Same request. I need you to pray that God will get rid of the cobwebs. And he said, no, I'm not going to pray that. Tonight, we're going to pray that God kills the spider. <laughs> you have to kill the spider. It's, your, it's, it's, it's you that has to say, I'm, I'm willing to let the spider die. Third, third thing is this, you've got to learn to hear God's voice. Uh, Jesus said it this way, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. And we, you may go, well, how do I learn to do that? How do I? Back in the day when we used to call each other on the phone <laughs> and not just send text messages, you could pick up the phone and after you got to know someone over a period of time, they could just say a word and you'd instantly know who they were. It was your time spent around them, your familiarity with who they were that let you know who they were when they spoke. See, the same thing is true of God's voice. You have to be around God's voice and you learn what his voice is and what his voice isn't. It's not something you instantly know. The prophet Elijah in 1 Kings has this beautiful picture of this. Uh, he, he's gonna hear, he wants to hear from God, and so the Lord tells him to go stand in the, on the mountain, and, and this great and powerful wind tears through, and the writer says, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
And, and then this huge earthquake came and shook everything. And then the writer says, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. See, that's how we think God's voice works. Earthquakes! Wind! He said, and then there was a fire, and then he was not in the fire. But then, then I think we've got it on the screen for you. And after the fire came, a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, pulled his cloak, and, and then, then a voice said to him, See, the old-timers used to call it the still, small voice. Now, let me give you something very, very practical. Uh, you can, uh, God's going to work through the wiring of your personality, and so you, the voice of God may come to you as a feeling. The voice of God may come to you as a thought. The voice of God may come to you as a word. The voice of God may come to you as a picture. It will always match up with what's in the scriptures. So if you don't know the scriptures, then you probably will go off the rails. Like, I feel this, and it must be God. No, 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 no. You always count it against the scriptures, because this is, this is the word of God to you. This, you want to know God's voice? Read this thing. But you, have to learn, you have to learn to hear God's voice, and then this is the last thing, is you have to yield, I have to yield myself, yield myself to Jesus' way. You, you know how you, you pull up to a, a stop sign, or you pull up to something, and there's that triangle, the red triangle with the white letters, and what does it say in the middle of it? Yield, right? Yield. Oh, I'm going to yield. And, and so you're thinking, oh, I see what you're saying. So I yield. I pause. I let God do what he's going to do. And then I go on my own way and do whatever I want to do. No, 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 no. I'm saying you take the sign off of the post and you carry it around with you and you put it over your head and you say, Jesus, I'm always going to yield my way to your way, right? The first Christians were known as the followers of the way. So you say, I don't want to forgive. Oh, I got the sign that says yield. I don't want to be reconciled to that person. Oh, I got the sign that says yield. I don't want to serve people. I don't want, I want my own time. I don't want to mess with serving somebody else. Yield. I don't want to give any of my money. It's my money. No, no, no. Yield. I don't want, I don't want to acknowledge the humanity of someone on the other side of the political spectrum for me. I want to call them names. No, no, no. Yield. I don't want to care about racism. No, yield. Right? I just say I'm going to yield myself to Jesus' way. Every single time. Every single time. And then I'm, then I'm going to do what Paul said. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's the word? Holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. This is the heart of holiness. By the renewing of your mind. So you got a choice today. You can stay on the porch. And wonder why I don't get it. You can persist in thinking this is about rules and try all your hardest to keep all the rules so that God will finally like you and never realize that, that God died for people who broke the rules. <laughs> and you can, you can protect yourself and you can hold up and go, I'm not going to touch those nasty people. You can, you can add the burden onto yourself and beat yourself up and condemn yourself and bring shame on yourself because you just never get it right and you're just trying so hard to add it and you're so exhausted and you, and you, you reject God and what you're really doing is you're rejecting religion. Or you can open the door. You know, you know Jesus, one of the other metaphors Jesus used for himself, he said, I'm the door. And you can come inside the house where there's warmth and there's love and there's, there's someone's going to help you learn to win and there's, there's the love that helps you restore you from your brokenness and says you're worth something. You're valuable. 
I know you're broken, but let's put the pieces back together. And if you're going to be full of God's spirit, see, then you've got to know that means I'm, he's going to make me holy. And I'm going to let holiness be the thing that defines my life. I want to pray for you. Would you stand with me? God, I pray for my brother, my sister that came in the door, and they've been around this their whole life, and what they have been around is the porch. Uh, They've not gone inside and found everything that you have in your house. They haven't done it. I pray for them today. I pray for the person who's uh, been at a distance from all of this, all their life, and all they've ever seen is the porch, because they're just looking from the outside. And so they thought this was all about a bunch of rules, and they thought this was all about a bunch of hard things they have to add to their life. They thought it was all about a bunch of Christians who think they're better than everybody else, and they've mistaken that for the warmth of your house and the warmth of your love and the warmth of your people. And so, God, we want your Holy Spirit to come all the way down, and we want it to come all the way in, all the way in, and sweep us along into the house where we receive from you everything that you have to give and that you are in the process now then of making us like you, making us holy. We want that. And all of God's people who want that in their life said, amen. Let's give you this blessing. May you know the holy love of God that loved you when you were a broken mess. Took the pieces back, glued them together, put you together, loved you back to life. And now sends you to love him in response, to love the people he loves so much, to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody and tell you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need prayer.